We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 480 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm in Hilton, and I've got who else with me? Rafa Aldamui. We are recording this on Tuesday night, so it's likely Thursday afternoon or evening or even Friday when you're hearing this. So you probably will be likely hearing from future Dan at some point, which would still be past Dan for you, but you, you get the point. If news drops of something and that hap- then I'll happen to jump in with a different shirt and interrupt. And if you're watching on video or audio, then I'll just jump in and tell you this is me from the future or whatever. But if not, we still get to wax poetic about midfielders because, again, I had planned to do Tuesday show, which was the Man City show. And I said, whenever that went official is when we'd release it. Well, the day we had scheduled to do it was a day or hours after it goes official. So that wound up being Tuesday show. But still, we're recording this, figuring it all out because the journey, Rafa, in the transfer window, at least, is not done. As far as signing players and registering players, well, I think we're technically, we'll say step two, right? Inigo Martinez, Gunwan, like those are step one. Those are the players that were going to come on a free, wanted to come, here they go. They're going to be the first ones to get registered. Then kind of the deli line, you got to take a number because just because a player might sign for the pivot position does not mean they would be registered in a timely fashion. Very much like Kunde had to wait it could be very much the same thing. But before we do that, Rafa, being that I, I asked a Man City fan for that whole show how he thought of the Barcelona move, and he approved, gave two big thumbs up. How excited are you as a Kool-Aid about the going to win signing? I'm fairly excited. I would say a seven, seven-ish, because how many times did we talk about last season how... We needed to improve the quality of our depth. And I mean, of course, Gundogan will probably be a starter with Barcelona. But thinking about an entire season where we're going to, obviously, the, the the goal is to fight for all three top competitions. And then you add the Spanish Super Cup plus four FIFA fixtures, three in the first half of the season. We know that Pedri, sadly, when the most important part of the season has come, he's been injured because he's been played a bunch of minutes. Gavi, so far, yet 
he hasn't shown to be as injury prone as Pedri. But we know that when both of them got injured, when Frankie got injured, when especially when Pedri got injured, we didn't have any kind of magic in the in the midfield because let's be honest, Sergio Roberto ain't that guy. We've discussed that forever here. Kessi ain't that guy as well. For whatever reason, Xavi didn't count with Paulo to uh, with Paulo Torre last season. So I'm excited because of that because I know he's probably going to be a starter, but also that will give and I I hope let's see how Xavi manages everything. But at least in theory, that will allow Xavi to. In Spanish, we say dosificar. In English, I don't know how you technically translate that word, but it'll allow Xavi to not push uh, the gas to the pedal with Pedri. Mm -hmm. And basically, during the first half of the season, which, again, Pedri's going to go with the Spanish national team if he's healthy, then that's going to allow Xavi to rest Pedri for the quote-unquote more important games and the quality is not going to drop. You could argue that it's either it's going to stay the same or it's going to go up a little bit. So especially talking about Pedri, because uh, Gavi, yes, he's really good with pressing and whatnot. He's an elite at that. But that kind of magic with the ball at his feet, that's Pedri. Gavi still, in my opinion, is not at that level yet, which Gundogan is. So I'm excited, but I... I wouldn't say a 10. I would say a seven. Well, yeah, I, I think when you talk about just how essential he could be and how important he could be. Yeah. He does not complete a squad. He does not, he does not move the needle in terms of the ceiling of Barcelona in the next five years, again, being 32 already, but what he does do to your point, And I've said it about Pedri. I have a video that I've already filmed that is ready to go about Pedri and his importance. And you mentioned that, that I think, we get caught up because of social media and because of lineups. Like you and I have both worked behind the scenes. Like everything is about the excitement and leading up to a match. Sometimes that excitement building to a match can mean as much as the 90 minutes that people are actually watching the game. And then if they lose, you forget about it as fast as possible and things like that. So I think we get caught up in this idea of a gala 11. And what Gundogan is, is that if everybody is healthy and a pivot, who again is the focus of our show is to arrive, then you are talking about, no disrespect to Kessie, because I, I think we'll, we'll hit him later later on in the show, but you wouldn't really worry about him. You'd say that you have a five-man midfield between Gabi, Pedri, De Jong, and Gunnigan, and then again, that pivot. And it is very much a who's the opponent, who played last time, what was the game against Real Madrid, or when is this game? Because as I said last week in the show that I was answering listener questions with that fixture list, I don't care so much about when this big match is coming or what day that is. I care more about the match congestion because again, if, if Barcelona are drawn in a group with whoever it may be, a, a tough number two that you have to worry about and Barcelona wind up having Dortmund and then Real Madrid and then Benfica, right? In like a Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, that's a tough week. And I care more about that fixture, fixture list than I do about when Real Madrid, like when El Clasico is truly. It, we build up to that game, yes, but it, it's more about the congestion in the schedule. And in the case of Gunnigan, as you, to, to your point as well, does he start or does Gabi start or does Pedri start? To call them any any of them the starter, I think is going to, that's kind of reductive to how good Barcelona can be, right? Because again, against Dortmund, you could start Pedri and Gabi and Gunnigan doesn't need to start against his old club. 
Then Real Madrid, it's Gabi coming off the bench and it's Pedri and Gunningen. And then for the, the Wednesday, it's whoever was fit or whoever, you know, maybe Pedri gets the, well, then in Pedri, we get the rest, if you will, like the next Thursday or I, again, I still think he's going to be that being Pedri it, essential in a way that we're not going to be able to get around. I don't think, I don't think Xavi's going to be able to avoid playing Pedri any chance he, he can against big opponents. But to that point, yeah, I, I think Gunningen really does unlock taking so much pressure off Pedri. And that is essential to do. It is so important that Pedri is not being asked to, as Xavi has probably asked him to do, instead of touching the ball 70 times, it's touched it 100 and 110 times, still make the same number of of tackles he does. And if anything without Busquets, make more tackles, make more interceptions, work harder on the defensive end without Busquets. And that's that's impossible. So speaking of Busquets, to Inter Miami, he has gone and everybody's announced it. So congrats to him. I'm looking forward to, to, to cutting that content. And yeah, I'm excited to watch him and Messi doing their thing and potentially Alba soon. But everyone and their mother has admitted, including you and I just did it, that the Gunningen signing has not solved the defensive midfielder problem in Barcelona. And while the attack will be much, much more potent, that is what I'll say many, many times. If you don't know who Gunningen is, go back and listen to the show from earlier in this week. He is going to help the attack in ways that are profound and ways that will not affect the defensive end. That is what my Man City expert let me know. So the defensive setup for Barca without Busquets is obviously going to suffer without a much more natural, deeper fit down the field. So I thought it'd be fun to start with the clickable moment, Rafa, from, and then we'll, we'll move from there. So I'm going to list the names of the rumored defensive midfielders, and you rank them from yes, please, to heck no, and then I think we'll go one by one and see where we're at with them, all right? So I, I am kind of, I'm, I'm making it a little easier for my, shout out to Anise, my social media uh, editor for TikTok, just trying to make this easy and clippable for you. So, Brozovic on the list, Danny Parejo, that name has really popped up. Oriol Romeu has popped up. Amrabat still exists out there. And I think we're going to go with those four, unless you have a fifth or sixth or seventh that I have not heard about, but those are the four of the week. So we're hearing Brozovic, Parejo, Oriol Romeo and Amrabat. So from yes to heck no, give me your one to four ranking. So my one to four ranking, yes, Brozovic as a number one. Yes, Amrabat as a number two. Which were the other two? Danny Parejo and Oriol Romeo. Oriol Romeo as number three. It's like, eh. And number four, heck no, Danny Parejo as a defensive pivot. To replace Busquets. Let me be clear on that. All right. Well, it sounds like your list and Barcelona's list are kind of similar at this point, switching the four to two and three to and, and two to four, switching Amrabat and Parejo. But we'll get into why that would be at this point. But let's start with Brozovic here. I feel like I already, I, I felt like I needed to knock Brozovic farther down the list as of yesterday. So by this time, he might have even agreed to sign for Barcelona because this news is all coming out so quickly. So I think by the time you have this in your ears, it's either you know that he might be a future Barcelona player or he's likely heading to Saudi Arabia because Al Nasser and Inter Milan have a deal in place already since Sunday for 22 to 23 million with incentives. And there's no issue between the two clubs. They've agreed it. The 30-year-old Croatian midfielder, you thought that he might go for 15 to 20. But of course, the Saudi Arabian clubs are generally bidding a little bit higher as you have to do to get somebody out of Europe, which is again, totally fair. Like if you were a South American team who had money, you do the same thing. You have to bid higher if you're not on the continent because you can't promise Champions League football in Europe. So the deal would be for Brazovic would earn around 20 million euros a year. And actually more than the transfer fee of 22, 23, that was the number that, that Barcelona cannot sign off on. 
20 million euros for Brozovic. That's about what Lewandowski makes, which is going up. You cannot give a 30-year-old Brozovic the same as you give Lewandowski. Age actually not mattering because of Lewandowski, but he would then sign a contract as well to, to June of 2027, which is three guaranteed years, taking him to the age of 33. So again, per available wages, you'd have to think that Barca can't go above like 10 mil for what they have left as far as wages to spend. And that is if Kessie, Ansu, and Farron, two of those three, even leave in that situation. That said, most recently, this is like two hours ago, apparently Barcelona is still very close to the signing of Brozovic, who, again, as of Sunday, could have agreed to the the Saudi Arabian or the Al Nasser deal. And then the signing for Barcelona, though, would be around 18 to 20 mil transfer fee. And the player would then receive a salary of 6.5 mil. Now, why I believe those rumors, this latest rumors about the Barcelona stuff, it's not just, you know, rumblings that it could happen. 6.5 mil net is the exact number that I would guess that you'd, you'd want a starting pivot like Brozovic to be on. At the age of 30 for 6.5 mil, for him to sign on that number, that says that he wants to stay in Europe and he wants to play at Barcelona. 6.5 would be the number. And then 18 to 20 to get him away from Inter Milan for them to make that deal. It's close enough to the number they're asking for, which is 20 to 25 for them to agree to that deal as well if Brozovic is pushing for the move to Barcelona. So I think in this case, I'm not saying it would be a done deal. Again, by the time this is out, this might all be redundant <laughs> and in the past, but that latest rumor does make a lot of sense to me. And as far as what I think he is as a player, I, I think he's exactly what Barcelona would want. He's not Busquets, and there are things that he is different about doing and ways that he is different. He's not going to read the game as quickly. He's not going to be in the right positions all the time, but his work rate is just as good. He's very good at cutting out counterattacks. He's very good under pressure with the ball, and he's very good at making quick decisions and pacing and building through a game. He's also pretty good at long passing, not as good as Busquets, but Anyway, you could see enough of what they're losing from Busquets that Brozovic is able to fill that gap to a really high level along with Gundogan. And that, I mean, that midfield goes from what was a B, what a, what did you say last news midfield was? A B, B minus? I mean, maybe a B plus actually. I mean, they won the Liga. A minus, B plus. And that, that turns that midfield five into, I would argue, an A plus. Like literally an A plus of, of Gabi, De Young, Pedri, Gundogan, and, and Brozovic. That's an A plus midfield. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. 
And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. To me, it, it, this is very simple. It's I would argue that it's the same as the whole Messi case. If Brozovic wants to come to Barcelona, he's going to have to wait. So it's literally, it's all going to come down to whether he wants to wait yep. and be with us or not and just sign with Al Nasser. The same with Messi. Messi didn't want to wait. Messi, for whatever reasons, I'm not going to get into that. You, Everybody can think whatever they want. The, the, the no, I mean, I was me- Messi didn't want to wait. Well, yeah, you said you said he's an impatient coward. That's what you said. Messi was. I heard. Hey, hey, damn you! Th- you threw the, the the Messi hive at me now. Oh, no, but no, but Messi it's it, that we. Well, I speak with. It's it's the ugly truth. Messi didn't want to wait. I'm not saying that that. <laughs> I'm scared of the, of the Messi hive. No, but he but also each. But also each. About it, we didn't did it exactly. He, but but everybody knows not to wait. If he, Messi he, wanted to wait, tears, his tears could have. Twenty twenty, but his—I'm saying his tears from twenty twenty. He didn't have to wait for anybody. Like he was—he's in the right. Messi's in the right at this point in his career with what he's exactly given him anywhere he, he wants. He can do whatever he wants, and that's exactly what he did. But if he wanted to stay at, well, he's, if he wanted to come back to Barcelona, he needed to wait. He wasn't willing to do that. So now with Brozovic, it's the same thing. If Brozovic wants to come to Barcelona, he knows that he needs to wait. And so far, it's June 27th, he's waited. How long will he wait? How long do we need? How long does Laporta, how long does Mateo and company need him to wait? I don't know. But if he does wait, I think he is the perfect, with Amrabat, in my opinion, the perfect gap. Well, I know Amrabat is younger than, than Brozovic, but I'm, what, what I'm trying to get at is that if eventually down the line, let's, down the line, let's say two, three, four years, hopefully Barcelona's economic situation is better than 
what it is right now. And some young defensive midfielder prospect comes out of nowhere that perfectly fits Barcelona's style of play better than Brozovic and Amrabat, then in the next four years, then we can make a bid for that player, whoever that ends up being. And in between that, those three or four years, we do have a good defensive midfielder like Brozovic or Amrabat because what I'm trying to get at is let's take out of our heads Sergio's kids. He's a unicorn. We're probably not going to ever see a defensive midfielder like that that checks all the boxes for what is, quote-unquote, Barcelona's preferred style of play. In my opinion, I'm worried about Real Madrid next year if they already signed Jude Bellingham. I think that's going to be... I know, maybe he t it takes a little bit, like a year for him to adapt. Maybe it doesn't. I know he's very young. But if he adapts to La Liga and Real Madrid quickly, that's going to be trouble for us. We already know that Vinicius is trouble for us. If, God forbid, they end up getting Kylian Mbappe this summer and we have to deal with counterattacks from Vinicius, Mbappe, Jude Bellingham, Camavinga, Federico Valverde, and company, we are going to need specialists. Obviously, we have Araujo. Sadly, Araujo is very injury prone. We have Jules Kunde. He's very good. But we know what happened last year when one of them or both of them were injured. I know we just got Inigo Martinez, but Marcos Alonso is still with the team. Eric, we don't know what's going to happen. But my biggest worry is that the Araujo and Kunde, if they are fit, they're going to need help. They're going to need help trying to stop those counterattacks. I know Gavi is going to help with that. Gundogan, Pedri, and their little intricacies, positioning, and whatnot. But that's why I'm so bent with... I know Amrabat is... It's dying down, the rumor, and whatnot. But I, I, I got out of my head. I I play like Sui Mendy. Like, oh my God, Sui Mendy. He's the closest thing to Busquets. Let's get it out of our heads. No, it, he might be technically in, in terms of style and whatnot. But I'd rather have somebody who's going to sprint, defend, do the dirty work. Because let's let's remind ourselves, before uh, Busquets, obviously there was Yaya Ture. He was freaking amazing. I loved Yaya. But before that, we had Bambomol. Bambomol. We had Edmilson. They were good defensive midfielders, but they weren't Busquets. Especially Bambomol. He was a wrecking machine. So I know that some people are like Bantam. Oh, no, we and even Xavi himself. Oh, we need the closest thing to Busquets that there is. But I don't share that opinion with Xavi. If we can, if that person doesn't exist, which I don't think he does, I don't think Martin Subimendi is that guy, then I think I'd rather have somebody who's going to do the dirty work and help the defense, especially if Araujo or Kunde are injured, or even Christensen, who's also been injury prone, who is going to help him in, the, in those defensive tasks, especially against Real Madrid, because I don't know how their team is going to end up looking. One thing is having Joselu as your main striker for the entire season, 
and another one is having Kylian yeah. Mbappé for the entire season. So I maybe a jump. I don't think there's a bigger jump in world football. <laughs> I, I mean, that's why I let you know that Mbappé is probably coming because if if Real Madrid really thinks that they're going to go out there and they made the big splash with Jude Bellingham and then they're going to put Josuelo up uh, up top and have him be Dougie overnight. Exactly. So yeah. if they get Kylian Mbappé alongside Vinicius, he's yeah. amazing. Rodrigo, Camavinga, Jude Bellingham, and whatnot, then I don't think it's that much of a stretch that La Liga might come down to those two Clásicos. Yeah. So that's why I'm leaning towards a more defensive-ish defensive midfielder. I know it's kind of like an oxymoron. Obviously, he's a defensive midfielder. But I would rather have Brozovic or Ramba. You're saying one who is profiled always as a destroyer type as opposed to a player that would in Spanish be called the pivote, right? Yeah, yeah. Profiled as as a pivot. Shout out to a friend of the show. I mean, again, if you're watching this or listening to this, you likely are already following the purist somewhere on, on YouTube with the numbers he's putting up. But the, the purist did have a video all about Busquets. And I think he really made me rethink the idea of not even the Busquets, but like drawing a line through Barcelona from Busquets to Guardiola. But not Guardiola the manager, Guardiola the player. And saying, what was the job of Guardiola the player for Cruyff. What did he represent for Cruyff in that era? And it was the coach on the field, not like pointing and the captain in that way, even though Busquets obviously was the captain, but I mean like the eyes of the coach on the field are best seen through the eyes of Busquets in the way that for Cruyff, it was best seen through the eyes of, of Guardiola. And so to find the quote unquote replacement for Busquets, it sounds like dogmatic and reductive because of how good football is and everybody has high level information now and training and there are no secrets players go from academy to academy there's so much movement at the youth levels now coaches as well and philosophies are everywhere you know what i mean like it's not like la masia has these great secrets of football like 15 years ago the propaganda told you that they did but there is this weird thing where it's like to to replace not Busquets or Guardiola, but to replace what they mean for the Barcelona manager on the field, you get the feeling that the next Busquets can only come from the academy. He can only be groomed by La Masia in that entorno, in that world, basically to grow up to be the pivot at Barcelona. Like that is like, you know what I mean? Like that's the thing he's, he's always been built to do. And, and that's why those pivots through the years with all this Busquets stuff, have always had, not say pressure, but you've heard their, those names more than you've heard the other midfield names, right? Like you don't, there's a lot of attacking midfielders at Barcelona through the years, right? You hear some of the special ones, the ones with big PR teams, but you hear the pivots more than you hear the other midfielders. And and not to go to Oral Romeo too quick, but we're going to get to him now because you already mentioned Amrabat. But for Oral Romeo, uh, there was, we're going back 10 years now. It was Ilya Sanchez. It was Oral Romeo. Sergi Samper, Gerard Gumbu, uh, uh, Gumbal, sorry, Oral Busquets, Hondro Oriana, and now it looks like Marc Casado and, and Pau Prim are next in line even. And, and a reminder too, Marc Casado was not a pivot all the way up through. He was kind of a center midfielder, more of a box-to-box midfielder, can also play the pivot, and he plays the pivot for Barca Athletic, but he was never like earmarked as like the high level. Like this is, again, was he ever born to do that? I don't think Marc Casado was always groomed and born to do that in a way that Pau Prim is. I'm not hyping up Pau Prim. I'm saying he is the next one in the list of players of the guys I just named 
Il Sanchez has been in MLS for a long time. Oro Romeo we're about to talk about. Sergio Samper is on, uh, has been injured and in Japan. Jared Gumbau has been in the first and the second division. Oro Busquets is on the bench somewhere in France. Last time we checked, and he just just injuries destroyed his career as well. And Hanna Oriana is on the bench at Andorra. Not like a starter at Andorra, like on the bench for Andorra, which was a, a bottom and a half team in the Segunda division. So there's always been this pipeline and the idea of replacing Musquets. I said, like, I don't know, like uh, credit to the purists for making me think about that differently. To say that Barcelona need to bring in somebody to play as a defensive midfielder. They do, like to your point, they need a defensive midfielder because the pivot isn't out there. You're right. Like Zubamendi, I not that I've been lukewarm on him, but to me, he is a B, B minus of what, you asked him to do. Like, he's not the heir to Busquets. That player, I, I believe, truly has to be manufactured from within, and we don't know who that is. Even if it is Pau Prim, he just turned, what, 18? Hole our horses. Like, you're not going to have the successor to Busquets or the next, again, not even Busquets, but Busquets, Guardiola, the, the, the manager's eyes on the field. That p- person is not going to come into effect for a few years now. And, no, I, and no. I, I think the key word here is expectations. That's why, in my opinion, we as a Barcelona fans, we should lower our expectations. And I think if either Brozovic or Amrabat come in, I don't think anybody in the world, I mean, from I mean, Barcelona fans are expecting Brozovic or Amrabat to be anywhere near Busquets' level. While Subimendi, whether that did him a favor or not, has been compared to Busquets. And hey, this guy. He's not going to be exactly as Busquets, but he, he's, quote-unquote, the closest thing to Busquets. And like you said, I think the next Busquets, if we ever see somebody like him for God knows how much, like how many years, is it's so intricate that odds are, like you said, that player is going to come from La Masia. It might be in two years, five years, 10, 20, 30, who knows? But it's so what Busquets did and Guardiola back in the day, it's so intricate in the, in the nuances of what the Barcelona way. And I, if you're hearing these, I'm making air quotes that a- anybody that comes after Busquets, like we know, we it's all about expectations. And it, on top of that, if Sui Mendy had come in or comes in on a free or his transfer fee is 10, 15. But 60 in our current economic situation, that's only going to grow the expectations of him. Because if we pay 60 for him right now in our current economic state, then everybody's going to, hey, you need to perform now and you need to be the closest thing to us kids that there is. And like you said, maybe he's not. Maybe he's like a wish version of Busquets. But for 60, we don't. We we need the exact replica, not a wish version. Yeah, I mean and that's what worries me. When it comes to like Barcelona, yeah, I'm using quotes too, like Barcelona way or plays that have that vibe. Even like Pedri is, I don't, I mean, and Kules know it when you see it. Like Pedri is the most Barcelona player that we've seen in a long time. Like you just feel it. You see, you see <laughs> it. Like that's why he can't get away from the Iniesta comparisons because he has he has that La Pausa, and most under defensive midfielder isn't going to have that that pause. He's not going to be able to stop time and make the right decision almost every time. But to, to that point, too, we, we went up Yaya Torre, and you and I are of a certain age where I really enjoyed Yaya Torre. Like he, I loved. The I only loved Yaya. reason Yaya Torre is not spoken about in all the ways that he is is, A, because of Busquets, and B, because, again, he was just too good to be there. Like, Man yeah. City fans love him. Like, when, when he left, I remember this, when he left, 
Kool-Aid had to be like, ah, you know, we don't need him. Like, you know what I mean? We're fine without him. And they were, it's true. Like they were fine without him because Busquets, Xavi, and Yester are three of the top 50 midfielders of all time in, in all of football history. But Yaya Torre was class. Yaya Torre was awesome. And it was just a matter of like, I would have loved to be able to play with 13 on the field so that Yaya Torre could still be a starter and, and, have, and have stuck around. And so it, it doesn't have to be exactly the, the this box that you're putting this midfielder in. It, you can win Champions League as Barcelona did without Guardiola and without Busquets because that 2006 Champions League happened. And if Barcelona to win a Champions League with the roster constructed the way it is, that I, I'm, I'm basically seeing a mirror not to Xavi being the next Guardiola or being the next Cruyff, but Xavi being the next Frank Reichard in the way that this squad is built and the way that that team is going to have to win and the way that world football is trending as well. Where I think in 2006, you know, there was we were we were kind of coming out of the days of Serie A being on top. Premier League was on the rise. Sure, Liga had a lot of good teams, but it was an odd period in the mid two thousands. I can tell you that. Like it would been Arsenal had been Arsenal with the Invincible a few years prior, and it, it was kind of a mixed bag of no league was on top. It was kind of anybody in the Champions League could do anything at any time. And at that time, it, too, I, I can say that there, there was yeah this parody across of all of world football. There wasn't like so dogmatic philosophies of this and this and this. And I think times are different. Sure. But, you know, as we go through this list, it, it, it's tough because when you talk about Amarbat and Tara Oro Romeo, they feel like opposites, but they're not that different. Like when you look at their numbers, they're judged by the same metrics. The winning is judged by the same metrics. And in the case of Amarbat, to, to put a, a close on this, I've said it about 100 times already, but it sounds like Fiorentina wants 25 mil for him. He's 26. He's in his prime. And so the Viola is perfectly in their rights to say, hey, yeah, 25 mil for like a guy in his prime. And Xavi isn't sold on him for that number, which I think is different than Xavi not wanting that player and rejecting that transfer. And and Xavi, as well as, it might not even be Xavi. Like Xavi just might be the name that they're saying, like because Alamani and and, and Deco can't necessarily get a deal done and Jordi Cruyff before him. But I, I also don't think that deal is dead. Like I don't think it's dead because I think Arobot is willing to be patient for Barca to come back later in the summer, just like they did in January. And maybe that price tag goes down if Fiorentina tested the market and they couldn't find the right number with another team while Barcelona would also have failed to find the midfielder they need. So Amrabat in the first week of August for like 12 mil, I think is very, very much still on the table. And that is how, to me, I think that's how that deal would get done. By the way, to your point about waiting and sticking around, you do remember Barcelona's most famous example of having to sit around and wait to be registered. Pretty good player for Barcelona. Remember who it was? Who? Luis Suarez. Because ah yeah yeah after the World Cup yeah twenty four <laughs> well his band <laughs> right he got to sit yeah. out with his own band but he but Barcelona also had that band based on the youth stuff hey and... fun fact so that everybody knows I went to Luis Suarez's first I, well technically the the Catalunya Super Cup is an official tournament isn't it I think so it might be it might not be but whatever technically his well I think it was his first or his second game because i think he he played a in the barcelona's training ground i don't remember against who but in the catalonia super cup i was there watching luis suarez even before he debuted against real madrid in that classico at the bernabeu and it yeah just wanted to throw that fact out there because hey like you said i agree with you i think and i love the fact that you compared this barcelona like xavi's barcelona so far this is way closer to Frank Reichardt's Barcelona than it is to 
Guardiola's 09 and uh, 2011 team. And, and that's why I think even for the younger listeners out there that maybe didn't get to see Frank Rijkaard's Barcelona, it was a good team, but it wasn't anywhere near the intricacy, the beautiful, I don't want to say tiki-taka because Guardiola hates that term as well. But you know what I'm trying to say. The the beautiful style of play that Barcelona played under Guardiola throughout his entire tenure, especially 2011. So, well, that, I mean, I, well, yeah, yeah. football terms. It wasn't total football the way that yes. Guardiola and that philosophy exactly. ended up because those players didn't all mesh in that way. It's very much about function. Like, Ronaldinho had his function. Therefore, Edmilson had to have his function. And Van Bommel had to have his function because Ronaldinho had his. And it's very much... You see Xavi's Barcelona because you have Lewandowski and Dembele and Frankie has to operate a certain way and Araujo can do certain things and can't do others with his feet. And so like you don't have all these players that fit in this total football stepping where they need to step. No, players are limited in certain ways and really excel in other ways. And so it is Xavi's job, just like it was right cards, to, for that balancing out that says, how do we use this player to counteract this player's weaknesses and kind of fit that puzzle piece together and kind of everybody does their job and everybody does their function to win at the highest level, which again, is, is different than the very, you know, Cruyff and Guardiola, like their, their, their legitimate philosophies. But again, like Guardiola was able to do because he had Messi because Messi fit with everybody. I mean, and if you want the, the counter example to that, it's watch the Ibrahimovic and Messi moments. If that even exists, Ibrahimovic might have paid to get it, get rid of it off the internet. But like, go back and watch some of those games, and you're like, it felt like it was this the beautiful game, or as you just said, like the tiki taka of Guardiola. It felt like you, they were trying to do that, and they were trying to squeeze it out of it. But it was it was like trying to put you know the toothpaste back on the tube, where it's just like, but they already made the signing of Ibrahimovic, and and they're like Edo made sense, and now something doesn't make sense, and it was just like fighting against itself in philosophy. But speaking of a player that again about philosophy, Oro Romeo, real quick here, I've already rehashed it for Girona. He has a contract till 2025, but he'll be 32 next season, so that buyout will be rather simple. He'll just ask Girona, hey, do you mind if I leave? And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, we don't care. He just arrived this season from Southampton, but he fit really well in the Liga. And what I like about him, both in the box midfield or in a double pivot, whatever you want to call it, like same thing, he was so important to Alex Garcia being really, really good and really important. So what Ordo Vermeer would allow Frankie de Young to do is have that freedom that Busquets allowed him to have. And that's why I do like Ordo Vermeer. I see a not a like-for-like like fit for Busquets. Again, we're talking about his talent and his ceiling, whatever. But I'm talking about the function that Busquets allowed De Jong to do. I see a lot of that in the way Oral Busquets did that for Alex Gar- Garcia. So that gives me some confidence in Oral Romeo, his level to, at minimum in the Liga, do this job. He would also, Barcelona would offer a three-year contract is what I saw. They gave him to 30, 35, which is like something. But it would be at 2.5 to 3 mil gross, meaning... If in three years they want to give him a contract of termination, he is from the city. Like he's a guy that'd be like, yeah, I don't care. Like you know what I mean? Like give me, <laughs> give me the six million I'm owed, and I'll I'll retire or go away or go to Qatar or wherever. Like I, I don't care. So that seems like it'd be very clean. Now, Danny Parejo, we're gonna end it here. This is what's interesting, right? Because he's not. I, I mean, how much does he have left in the tank as a 34 year old? He recently turned 34, and I'm not like age shaming with this, but. He's been around the block. Now, his 34 is different as well because he came up through Real Madrid's system, got some time with Adafi in his early 20s when Madrid cut him loose. But then his move to Valencia really pro- propelled his career, kind of, 
because it actually took two years of him waiting his turn. But once he got a spot in the 2013-14 season, it was his. But with Valencia's owner, if he wasn't so confident, he would have entered the European portion of his career at Valencia as a club legend. But instead, off to Villarreal he went, where he's made over 100 appearances there already since 2000. And I find it so tough with him because Danny Parejo, that name, has always bounced around Barcelona for years. Almost every summer you see him linked for seven, eight years now since he really broke on at Valencia. And Xavi has shown an affection to him prior to being a manager because he knows him. <laughs> because Parejo is so interesting because like Mikel Arteta as a player, Julian Guerrero, Xavi uh, Prieto, the Real Sociedad midfielder, if he is born in a different era or different country, that being Danny Parejo, he might have 50 international caps to his name instead of just the four. And so when I ask that question, how much does he have left in a tank? I do consider all that stuff, that he hasn't played international football. He was in and out of European competition, depending on the, the season. So he's played like eight just domestic matches less per season, and he's largely avoided injuries throughout his career. At times, he's played as an eight in front of a destroyer-type midfielder, which he did at Villarreal with Capu or, or Kecklin before they got injured. But actually, when Villarreal were at their best last season, including a 3-2 win of Real Madrid, he was the pivot in a 4-3-3 behind Alex Mena and Ramon Terratz, neither of which I would accuse of defending much, which is why Terratz actually came out of that game in the 33rd minute for another plus 30 player in Manu Trigueros to run around and defend in front of the back line alongside Parejo. So if De Young is willing to defend, then Parejo does make a bit of sense in that double pivot because he, you know, he can do it at Villarreal at this point in his career, and he has done it. He has a good sense to it. Um, and apparently the club also reported a presented a proposal to one year plus an additional year. And he apparently wants two years guaranteed, which again is totally fair. So Xavi would be the one who'd have to like speak to him and, and work him down to the one year plus one additional year. And you'd also expect his number would be what four mil a year, four to five mil salary, right? If, if Romeo is 2.5 to three and Brozovic is 6.5, you'd have to say Daniel Pereira is probably like four, even though he's two years older than, than Oro Romeo. But like you, I have my doubts. I have my doubts yeah. how that's all going to fit. And I would just, I would save money and just go over to Mayo. I just, I, I'm with you on that. Don't get me wrong. I really like Danny Parejo as a midfielder. I think he's amazing. I think he's really, really good. If he was called Danny Pajerino, I think he would have been sold to, to a big Premier League club and whatnot. But if he's coming, and we're talking about him as a defensive pivot, and I know he played there a few times last season, Villarreal, this and that, but for the entire season, to for him to be Barcelona's defensive midfielder in La Liga, in the Champions League, at 34, and him being the type of player that he is, I think that's insane. To me, that's almost as insane as Real Madrid having Jose Lu be their, their number nine striker for the entire season, this upcoming season. It would be the same kind of craziness. So to me, I don't know like how uh, I know I know the rumor is true, but to me that would be insane. Like I would rather have a hundred million times Oriol Romeo ahead of Danny Parejo as our low cost, low budget defensive midfielder if we can't get either Brozovic or Amrabat. Because Danny Parejo, to me the fact that Danny Parejo is being talked about as an option. For Barcelona, Barcelona's defensive midfielder spot to me is just insane. 
Well, it tells you what Barcelona has already known. And it's, and the club does this all the time. And you know this, that the club, I think, when they have their early meetings, and you, I mean, people, I don't know if you've ever been, I think in my whole life, not to tell people how my humble origins are, but in my <laughs> whole life, I think I've been in three like board meetings or like meetings of, of people who own something, <laughs> you know, where, and I was like in those meetings based because of like, as a director of broadcasting, or they had me come in just to like give a presentation or something. So I'm, I'm sitting there in those things. And I know in those board meetings, because you got a, a lot of people who say yes to you a lot around you all the time. So you do have some kind of faith and confidence that the things you want to happen will manifest themselves because you want them to happen enough, right? So I can tell you that, again, this is no disservice to the job that Laporta and his crew and even not necessarily out of money so much in Deco, but the, like his financial crew and even the ones who are in charge of the economics. Again, it's not just him. It's, it's Juan Roma. It's everybody else. So I think they, in their initial meetings, probably said things like, you know, Frankie, we've been on him for years now, two years now, <laughs> about lowering his wages, and this will be the time he's going to lower his, his his wages. Same thing, like, hey, we've been, you know, the the, the, the papers have really been harping on Kessier and Ansu and Farron. Like, I think they know that they should leave, they should go somewhere else, and eventually they're cave. Like, right? And I think the club really does. Like, I think the, the board members, I mean, yeah, not to say that they're not like you and I, but like, I think they do believe that they're going to have the, the power and the social cachet to kind of get that stuff done, to put that pressure on those players to either take the wage reduction or in the case of Kessie and Ansu and Ferran Torres is to find a new home. It's, it's to, 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 to make things easier for the club that they, I mean, if everybody loves the club, then you're going to do what's right for the club. Even that means you, you leaving the door. And it's always what we bring up. It's like, I'm not going to vilify, as you know, I'm not going to vilify any of the players that don't want to leave because Barcelona signed them for a reason. Even if they failed to do what they were signed to do, they were signed by Barcelona for a number. And if Barcelona believed they were good enough for that number, well, they were good enough when they signed. So that means, in theory, they should still be that player somewhere in there. Ferran Torres is still not even 25. He's still in his early 20s. Ansu Fati, I mean, I know you're going to talk about him because <laughs> he's 20 and I, I'm with you on, on I, I don't know. I, I can't do the answer thing again. It, there's no reason why I'm to leave the club except for the number, right? And now it's just like, it was, I don't know, but I'll ask you this question. It was the same thing we said about Messi that I, that I, I said to Levan. If it's onto or Messi, what are you picking? And now that that decision, Messi made that decision for Barcelona. And he said, don't make it me or onto it's onto onto staying. Thank you, Messi. That's for him. <laughs> exactly. And so now in this case, if it's onto or Brosevich and, and Gunnigan getting registered, then what do you pick? Wow! Wow! Then I think that's the decision they're making. Wow! That's that. Oh, wow! I can't believe you you asked this question. To me, it's, oh my god! That if that if I'm having to choose between registering Brozovic and Gundogan, or having to sell Ansu. Wow, we this is literally the well, that's this is like the bottom win. of the pit yeah, as far as like win. our current economic situation goes. I mean, you I guess you would have to sell Anso. I mean, we signed Gundo and we, we have to register him. I mean, we have to, but at the same time, this is not like the NBA or the NFL. Like if Anso was just how Frankie didn't want to leave and he didn't want to lower his wages as well. The player doesn't want to do it. We, the club can't unilaterally force them to do it. So if Ansu wants to stay, 
there's nothing Laporta and Mateo can do. If Ferran wants to stay, there's nothing they can do as well. Same with Marco Alonso, Eric Garcia, Kessie, and whatnot. So I I get it. I, I know Ansu is the, the easier choice because everything that we receive for him is a surplus. While Ferran, we still like need to recover a portion of, of what we paid for him, which we haven't paid in full yet. I completely understand that part. But it's just a matter of, like, I know what you said, like the Laporta and, and the board have the, I mean, they think they will be able to convince players, I mean, not everybody, but a few players to leave. But then how long will that take for them to convince those players? And will the, I mean, Agundogan, because he already signed, and Inigo Martinez, but the Brozovic, the Amrabat, the potentially who knows if we were going to be able to sign a right back, which right now doesn't look like we'll be able to. Will those players still be available by the time Laporta and company end up convincing if they do X, Y, and Z players to leave the club for whatever amount that ends up being that that's, that's the balance. And still like, I mean, we're still like, what five days until July 1st, three, four days, whatever. So, Are they going to be able to convince them to leave before those players are out of the market? I don't. Was he, I don't have the answer. You don't either. It's just uh, we're yeah. acting. This is like faith. That's what faith is. Yeah. Like we're living in something without having proof. Yeah, I mean, so and almost to defend that that hubris that I'm talking about. That I think it's fair for those men in suits and and women in, in in suits and ties and and in that boardroom to have the hubris to say we're going to get this done, right? Like when you're talking about numbers like 1.5 bill, uh, billion, like not to say there's a lot of eyes, but there's a lot of trust. Like there is a lot of trust in a cult of personality. And I think when Laporta is working with Goldman Sachs and working with these companies and working with these things, there is no other option than almost irrational confidence in a front-facing way for that PR machine. So as much as people do criticize Laporta in that way, You can't make these big deals with sponsors and things like that without showing utmost confidence. And that includes making, and that includes the confidence of getting done what needs to get done. And that's why there's an overwhelming confidence that the club is going to reasonably unload Langley, Umtiti, Desk, Kayato. Like they're not worried about that stuff. They're saying, of course, we're going to do that stuff. And then we're also going to do the other stuff that needs to get done. All right. Last thing here. Now, I feel like we were at a 10. Now we're going to take it down to probably a two. Because there's a weird uh, situation with Arnaud Tanas. This isn't really anything to discuss. So apparently Arnaud Tanas spoke about his Barca future at uh, Spain's U21s while they're at their the U21 Euros, that he would potentially leave in the summertime. His contract is up at the end of the month, so in a few days. And it's been reported that Barcelona will renew the deal. And then it was coming out that they weren't going to renew the deal. And he was like seemingly getting mis uh, mixed messages And so his words were, it has come out that Barcelona is not executing the renewal. It is true, and I can confirm it. Now I'm with the national team, and I'm focused on this. So apparently the last thing he heard was that Barcelona are not going to renew him at all, and now he'll just be a free agent, and he's fighting on that, about that on international duty, which is weird because Arnaud Tanas seems always like one of those players who's come up from the academy that Barcelona, I mean, that he's willing to A, be at the club for very cheap wages and even just choose to be the third goalkeeper, It's this weird thing where it's just like he's basically agreeing to play for free, but Barcelona didn't want to renew his contract, which would go up a little bit. But it is a weird spot, too. He's 22 now. 
And you can't really have him and Inaki Penny, who's going to be 25, sitting on the bench. So they do kind of have to pick one of those two. And I think it's unfortunate because him as a professional, he's kind of stagnated since he burst onto the scene at, what, 19 when he was for playing for Spain's U20s? Or maybe I'm thinking of Earl and that, and he was maybe I'm thinking of the U17s. Or maybe it was both. But, you know, you get the point. He's been the Spain under whatever international goalkeeper for a few years now. And it's always felt like he's going to be, you know, a really good goalkeeper. But now he's 22. At what point do you ask to ask whether or not he's going to get opportunity? Because they're saying has never been better. And he's behind Inaki Pena as well. So when that's Inaki, Inaki Pena leaves, and then Barca's in a weird spot, though. So I don't understand why they wouldn't take the renewal for a player who's so cheap and then sell him for, you know what I mean? Like, what's the difference? What's the variance between selling him or, or letting him walk free to guarantee you're going to not have his wages next year or renew him for whatever is like 2.5 or 3, whatever the new renewal is for, and then trying to sell him for 1.5 and eating that one mil. I know that every million counts, but it's like, it, it just, it's a weird thing and a weird timeline. I, I, I don't understand how the club went about that. The only thing I'm going to say of that, say of that, if he ends up going, I'm going to miss him. And because it seemed like every time there was a, like a, I wouldn't say a fight per se, but there was a, a mm, things got tense. I was I would see Arnautenas being right in the middle of everything, just right, like yeah, ready he was, to he was a big member of F of FC vibes. He was a starter exactly. in of FC and you vibes. you need players like that. So even though he didn't play at all, I always thought the fact that then when there was a fall on Gabi or anything that was just controversial and just like we're ready for a fight, he was a soldier and he was like in the front line. Like, where are we in a fight? Okay, let's go. I'm ready. This this is what what I'm here for. So. I know you. You explained it perfectly. It's 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 either you're gonna like either Anautenas, Iñaki Peña, exactly. So because they're staying and going anywhere, especially after last season. So it's it's a matter of I would be an Anautenas type of guy. Like I'm I'm a millionaire living in Barcelona, my hometown, and I'm getting paid to train. I'm not even getting paid to play. I'm just getting paid to be in shape, go to the gym, and that's it, not even have the pressure of being Ter Stegen. So to me, that's the perfect life. I get to party as well and be like, hey, I'm I'm at Nautenas. I'm the third goalkeeper of FC Barcelona. I get to go on trips and expeditions and everything. So I don't blame him. I, If you would tell me, Rafa, what footballer would you want to be? Messi, Ter Stegen, Pedri, I would tell you I would want to be at Nautenas. I would want to have that life. So, again, uh, hopefully, it, like you said, if I've read mixed information. Like, it seems like he's going to renew. Then it, he it looks like he's not going to renew. Then he says that he has gotten like, mixed information and whatnot. So, uh, you know, like I'm not the biggest fan of the summer transfer window because it's so hectic. I know some people love it, but it's so hectic and so all over the place. And even though, like, look how all over the place it is that we're talking about, like, Arnautenas' like, contract situation or third goalkeeper. So it, it's, I, I don't know, hopefully he stays, but it's just so, like, it's a perfect example of the craziness that it's, that is the transfer window, the summer transfer window. It's, it's June 27th. 
at this point when we're recording. Yeah, exactly. When we're recording, this might already be completely, completely over. Yeah, but yeah, I agree with you. My uh, my left knee in particular would love to be 22 and Arnautinat again. Yeah, for sure, 100. So anyway, he's Aldemui football. So that's on the show notes. Follow him on YouTube, especially with the Spanish content. Follow him also on TikTok, on Instagram, all those different places as well. So we got we got some cool videos. I went to the beautiful game down in Orlando. Cover that game. Ronaldinho, Roberto Carlos, Vinicius, Divara. There weren't a lot of Barcelona players and whatnot. Yeah. A bunch of Brazilians. But there's some great video. I know Vinicius is the enemy, but he's such an amazing footballer. And I hate the fact that he plays for Real Madrid because he's so good. It was an exhibition game. Yeah. But wow. So you should go out, check my videos on Instagram and TikTok of Vinicius and, and whatnot. So let's enjoy him while he's not wearing a white shirt. Well, it might not be too long, maybe January or next year when the uh, Vita World Cup, there might be another Brazilian playing in that competition. There and, we uh, go. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I yeah, love some Brazilians. That's all cool. movie football, wherever you get your, your content, and then the Barcelona podcast, you know where to find us. So thanks for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon, of course, Bye.